Well, uh, we are beginning our series on the table about turning everyday ordinary kinds of meals into opportunities for sacred moments. And, and I, I don't know about you, but there, there's meals that go on throughout the week where I just feel like it, it just kind of happened. You're like, wait, I think I had lunch. How did that happen? Or did I grab something out the door to have breakfast? Like, uh, sometimes our meals are just kind of rushed through. And we're going to try to figure out how to be intentional about what is it to, to pause a little bit, to slow down, and, and to take op- the opportunity of sharing meals with others, uh, and, and to take that opportunity to think about God in relationship to those meals. And so I, I was trying to think of what, what kind of way to get into our story today. It's, it's a very peculiar story. Uh, and I was trying to think of how, what's the weirdest invitation that you might have? What, what would be a, a weird request to help with, a, with some meals? And so maybe in our area, the best way to get into today's story is to suggest that you have a friend, and your friend loves the Detroit Lions, and they've decided this Thanksgiving they want to go to Detroit, not just go for a game, they want to spend the weekend in Detroit. And they're trying to get friends who have enough faith in the Lions or whatever it is to to get in a vehicle and to go spend some time in Detroit for the week. And so you're like, you know what, I haven't been adventurous in a while, sure, I'll go on this trip. And so you go, and it's the day before Thanksgiving, it's the day before the big game, and the person who organized this event, this trip, turns to you and says, I need you to go prepare Thanksgiving dinner for us. That would be a little shocking, right? You'd be like, I don't, like, I don't have a kitchen, or like, what do you mean? I have to make Thanksgiving? Like, what's going on here? And you might be with a thousand questions, but how do I make this happen? And it's that kind of outrageous ask that's going in on, on this text today. And I want to just read to you, maybe with that background, you might hear the story afresh, and to hear what Jesus says to his disciples. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 22. His disciples and him are are in Jerusalem. And it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And uh, in Christian tradition, Passover, because it gets associated with Jesus' death and resurrection, we just say Easter weekend. We don't think about Easter weekend as much about the food element, uh, as Passover is very heavy about talking about the food. Um, But they're there for Passover weekend. And so Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover meal for us that we may eat it. And again, this is not an easy request, an easy ask of Jesus to make of his disciples. And I just want to pause to say, it's nice that they're able to ask a question in this story. Because sometimes we hear like, God, you're telling me to do something, and you're like, I've got some questions. And we just finished a series about it's safe to ask questions. And so Jesus has given them this request, hey, go make preparations. And Jesus is allowing them the space to respond. They asked him, well, where do you want us to make preparations for it? They're starting at the beginning of like, okay, well, where? Like, there's plenty of other questions to come. But they're going to start there of like, well, where on earth are we supposed to do this? Where on earth are we going to have this Passover meal? And I, I can't imagine all of the list of questions that they're wondering about of this is a special day, uh, like 
I'm, are the grocery stores closing down because it's going to be a holiday? Like, where on earth am I going to find the preparations? And so, Jesus, where? And, and it's a lot of wheel turning inside their brain as they think this through. And I think that God asks us to do some things. And it can be hard to just say yes. We've got questions. How is this going to work? What do we do? And I love that Jesus accommodates that here. But he doesn't make the story any simpler, any easier. Their follow-up question just makes this even more strange. And so, hey, Jesus, where do you want us to make these preparations? And he says, hey, listen. When you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room upstairs already furnished. Make preparations for us there. So you're in Detroit, and your, your event coordinator, your person, hey, go make us a Thanksgiving meal. And you're like, hey, where on earth do you want us to do this? And he said, hey, go to the grocery store. When you see somebody leaving with a bunch of groceries, follow them to their house. When they go in the house, knock, knock, knock. Hey, hey, who's the owner of the house? Hey, we'd like to book a room. We want to have Thanksgiving with you. The teacher has need of it. Like, I don't know about you, but that would be a hard request to say yes to Jesus about. Like, who's, on, who's, who's like comfortable with strangers enough? Like, who's the extrovert? He's like, I got it. I can ask this question, it'll be fine. And you're probably on the sales team. Um, you know, it, but like, that's a difficult request that Jesus makes of them. Go make this Passover meal preparations. Go follow someone home. Ask them, say, hey, where's the guest room? And that's the tension that we get into of like, can you ask this crazy thing of me that like, how on earth do I say yes to God when he asks these out, outrageous requests of me that, this can't go well, right? Like, surely the owner's going to slam the door in my face. Surely someone's going to think I'm crazy. Like, my reputation. I can't possibly say yes to God, can I? And I was trying to think of, like, what's something on a scale of an outrageous ask that people had to go through with something? And, and I'm sure the whole time they're wondering, what on earth are we doing? Uh, and has anybody heard of Chinese ghost cities? Now, it's not, ooh, ghost uh, cities. It's, it's, it's about them being empty, not, not kind of supernatural things. But China went through a massive change from like the last 50 years. Uh, about 50 years ago, they were 18% of their population lived in cities. Fast forward to last year, and almost 60% of their population live in cities. When you've got 1.4 billion people, that's a lot of people moving from farmlands and rural areas into cities. And they decided to do what, we still don't know if this project is successful or what this looks like, but they decided to just build massive Chicago-type cities in random spots throughout their country, not just like on coastlands or just the areas that look exciting or whatever, but they just plopped down like 50 skyscrapers of apartments, and nobody lives there. They're just hoping that somebody will move in to a massive new city. And so they built the skyscrapers of, of apartments, they built museums and stadiums and like city squares, 
And, and so you get these vloggers and people on YouTube or whatever, like walking around an empty city of like, can you imagine walking like Chicago Lakefront or, or downtown Detroit or something and just barely seeing anybody? Like it's a weird feeling. And I'm sure somebody in the midst of creating all of that is like, I wonder why we're building all of this. And you're, you're ordering bunches of steel and bunches of supplies and, and they're probably wondering, what on earth are you going to do with all of this? What, what's the point of it? And some of the cities are pretty empty. Some of them have two million people living in them. Uh, it, it's, it's an outrageous ask to just build a giant city and, and think that somebody's going to live there someday. But like, we all have our own versions of outrageous asks. You know, if you like think about uh, in your own kind of life, if you're married, like, did you know all of the steps that your married life was going to go when you asked, you know, do you want to marry me? You know, and you're like, oh, what was I saying yes to of this whole journey? Um, we have all sorts of, of outrageous asks that we, we can figure out, okay, I'm going to just go on this journey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, and I'm going to trust, and I'm going to be faithful, but like, I have no idea where this is going. Many of you probably saw an announcement from us this last week uh, on, on our emails, on social media, on our website. Um, but what we announced was that uh, our church is, is trying to launch a cafe connection, a restaurant-style dinner experience this fall, where the idea is that once a week, people can come, uh, everybody who's hungry for good food and service and meaningful conversation, uh, you'll have a host greet you. You'll have someone take your order that, that the whole experience is around just having a meaningful experience around a table. And that, I think, probably looking at Logan, you're like, it felt like a, a huge thing. You know, like, can we do this? And it can still feel that way. Is this even possible? Right? Like, Jesus has asked you to do something, you're like, I don't know if I have enough volunteers for this. I don't know if I have the resources for this. I don't know if I have the capacity for this. And there's times in our life where we're asked of something that feels bigger than who we are. And those are always the meaningful moments because they have to stretch you. Like, what's the chance of growth if you never ask yourself and never say yes to something that's beyond what you think is possible? And so, like, what is it for Jesus to turn you and say, hey, I need preparations for a meal. Are you willing to go on this journey? And it's a beautiful invitation. And it's a scary invitation. And it's an embarrassing invitation. But it's where meaning and truth and God's love and possibility is all wrapped up together. And so, we're thinking about, hey, hey go make preparations. He talks in there about, you know, they've got this room furnished, you know, Trust that there's somebody else out there that has some preparations, that has some space that, that can make this possible. And I think there's a difference between having space and making a room. Because, like, if you want to think cosmically, of space is so vast. It's so vast we can't even think about it. Like the distance between things. Uh, I was reading one magazine that was trying to, like, you don't understand kilometers or miles once it gets to a certain size. So they were doing things by proportion of the object itself. So um, they, they did something about like how big, like how far away are we from the sun. And so the distance between us and the sun uh, is about 110 suns. Like if you had the sun and you put it back to back to back, it'd be 110 suns to get to us. You're like, okay, I'm just trying to imagine how big the sun is and what that distance is like. But then if you want to know how far the sun is from the nearest star to us, you can line up the sun 
30 million times to get to the next star. Just the next star. And we know there's so like countless amounts of stars. Like the space is just so empty, so vast. And we know places, you know, whether it's a Chinese ghost city, we're like, man, like this is huge, but like I want people. I, I want to feel like this is home. I want to feel like I'm close to somebody. And, and we have, you know, maybe you've got a house that used to have lots of kids running around in it, and now you're like, I have all this space. What do I do with this space? Because I want it to be a room where something is, where people inhabit it, where this has life. And I know, like us as a church, like, we've got plenty of space, but how do we make room where life happens? And so what is it to make a room where somebody can inhabit it, someone can have meaningful conversation and life together. And it's not just about what we furnish things with, not just about what furniture makes it out there. Um, We are a part of what makes room. Our own demeanor, our own language. You know, and, and we have opportunities to make room for people or to close people off. You know, if you've ever had a strained relationship and you show up, you don't want... To, to, to poke that, that sore spot. Right? Like, we're trying to make this work. Why you got to ask about that? Why you got to push on this? Why you got to, you got to say that? And so how do, we, how do we not make room whenever we add judgment, whenever we add shame? But how do we make a room for people even when we're not talking about the furnishings? When I think about making room, in the Christian tradition, when we talk about is there enough room, we always talk Christmas. There's no room at the inn. And in one of my favorite Christmas movies, I'm wondering which movie you're thinking. Uh, In the movie Die Hard, about a man trying to find out if there's room for him at his family's home. And it's kind of funny. It's it's an action movie. And it's, you know, you get the violence and all that. But at its heart, it's a guy who just wants to know, can I have Christmas with my family? And so he takes this long trip from New York to Los Angeles. His wife has moved across the country. She's following her work life. He gets on a plane, makes it to L.A. Culture-wise, he doesn't feel like he fits in. He gets to the building. He looks up where she is in the directory, and he finds that she's not listed under her name. She's listed under her maiden name. Finds where she's at. He goes up to that floor, feels like he doesn't fit in on the party. Finally, John McClane and Holly get to have a space together, And we've seen along their journey to that moment, they both want to make room for each other. She's called the the worker at their house of like, hey, can you make the guest room? Make sure it's just ready, just in case. And and John's riding the limo with Argyle and the limo driver, and he's like, hey, if this doesn't work out, I can take you to a hotel. But you know he wants to make it work out. They show up together, they're in the room, and they finally get to a place where they can maybe be vulnerable for a minute. And so his wife just says, hey, where are you staying? You know that like gently getting into uh, where are we? Hey, where are you staying? And he gives this fake answer. Like we haven't heard any of his answer in the story yet. And he even gets the city name wrong. And she's like, that's so far away. Why, Why go that far? I've got room. Why don't you come back to our place? You know, that would be easier. And the kids would love to have you at the house. And he says, they would. And she says, I would too. So she's vulnerable, steps in, I'm making a room for you. You know, I would love to have you. They're interrupted. 
A couple that's being a little intimate rushes in on them, kind of disturbs the moment. They leave, and she takes that vulnerability one more step, and she says, I missed you. And in that moment, how does John respond? He says, I guess you didn't miss my name, though, huh? Except maybe when you were signing checks. Since when did you start using Miss Gennaro? And in that moment, it closes off the room. That one response, suddenly they're fighting again. They're picking up the argument. And what I love with the making of that film was the directors, the, the crew, they were trying to figure out who is John McClane, and they had a realization about a third of the way through shooting the movie. They said, he's somebody that has regrets. We want him to be relatable. He's not the Arnold Schwarzenegger big tough guy. He has regrets in his life. So they went back and they reshot the end of the scene. So he says this harsh thing to his wife, they fight, she leaves, and he's sitting in the doorframe, and he just hits his head against the doorframe three times. And he says, that's great, John. Good job. Very mature. And he regrets it. And I think that does make him relatable. Because we've all had moments where we wanted something and we got in the way of it. We, we messed it up. There was a relationship that was so close and just I couldn't help myself. I said something that that instead of making room, pushed somebody out. So I think about, what is it to make room for meaningful conversation, for dinners, for meals together? It's not just about what we furnish it with, but it's about our very selves. How do we make this place available and open and welcoming and don't make this a harsh judgment space? And so how can we get to that spot? And so I think about, the ways in which each of us have opportunities throughout our life to make space or to not. You know, we've got kids going back to schools in the last few weeks. You know, if you're at a school and you have a cafeteria, you have the ability to make room at your table. That that's a space where people cannot be judged, where they, uh, you know, it's a safe place. And if you're at an employer that still has break rooms open, I have no idea in the pandemic if the break rooms are open, uh, but you know that scene or that place where everybody kind of walks through and, and there's treats or there's drinks or whatever there's there. Is that a safe space where, or is it a gossip space? Is it a space where someone can be themselves, where they, they know that they can talk to you? Or is it a space where there's going to be somebody that's getting attacked and cut down? For some people... You know, maybe if that, like talking about the house has a lot of space, uh, you might recognize that there's somebody else that, man, they've got the chaos. They've got, they're trying to coordinate all their families going all over the place. And you're like, hey, can I just make a meal for you? Can, you just want to come over? I'd, I'd love to have you. There's room. Maybe you just take a break for the night. And make space for somebody. Maybe you're at a retirement home in the right retirement community, and, and maybe they've got the dining hall open. Maybe they don't. Whether it's the dining hall table or your room, is that a room that somebody knows I can show up and I can be me and I have a place here? And that's the beauty is that each of us have that opportunity every day. And we also have the opportunity as a community to do that together, to make sure that when people come into our space, they feel the embrace of God's just love instead of judgment, God's hope instead of despair. 
And so how are we making that space ready for people? I think about people that walk down South Jackson Street, uh, they see a little bit of room made in, in the form of a blessing box, right? You know, that open this up, we want to have some supplies, maybe there's some food, uh, that there's room for you. Every Thursday with the personal care ministry, that, uh, that there's room for hygiene products, for cleaning products, that we see you and there's room. And with, with the restaurant experience as we're, we're gearing up towards that, that's, that's, that's the goal, that people know there's room for them here and that they're welcome at the table. And in the midst of that, we are all invited by God to make preparations. Where are we going to do this? And for each of us, we have to think about that for our own selves, of where throughout the day, where throughout the week, where is the place I'm making preparations so people can... Uh, encounter me, but encounter God, encounter community. And so we all have that invite, and, and hopefully in prayer time, and, and as you think throughout the day, you're, you're thinking through, God, where do I need to make some preparations so people can experience a little bit of light, a little bit of joy, a little bit of love in the midst of the world? And as a community, we are in the midst of always saying, God, how do I make some space? How do I make room that people can inhabit have those experiences with us. And so I just want to read for you the last verse of this passage. They had, he had told them all these plans. And Luke ends with, So they went and found everything as he told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. It's so simple, but like when you really wrestle with like how outrageous of an ask that is, you get... That this doesn't feel just like, oh, oh, just a common thing. Oh, yeah, he, they saw it as that he had said, and, and they did it. But, like, what does success look like in the midst of this? Like, we don't know whether building projects of trying to build giant cities, whether that's going to work out or not. Um, there's no guarantee that everything just perfectly works out. But we know that if Jesus and God are inviting us into something, if you say yes, there will be something of life and value in the midst of it. It might not turn out as you expected. It might look a little different than you expect. But you have to trust that there is something there that is just as God said it would be. Have a little faith that God will make a way. And so with that, would you pray with me? Lord God, each of us has our own things that, that maybe we're hearing right now. Whatever the invitation that you are making for somebody's life right now, Lord, I ask that you might help us to find the courage to say yes. We might have the courage to follow you into the unknown. Lord, I ask that you might give us a bravery to step out of the comfort and into your embrace. Lord, for those who feel silence, feel no instruction. Lord, we ask for the courage to keep coming before you, to keep listening. When the not yet comes, Lord, give us patience. Lord, I just ask that you might help us to be faithful to you, and that we might find your, your goodness even when we don't expect to see it in every single corner, every single turn that we make. May we always find you. 
In your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.